Hello, everybody. I hope that you all had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. And you know, we've been hitting things awfully hard and fast here for a while on some pretty heavy subjects. So we decided this week to take you on a little trip up to a gem in Little Falls, Minnesota, the Minnesota Fishing Museum and Hall of Fame. This is Min Central Currents. I'm your host, Teresa Meese. I'm joined by the museum docent, Brenda Perlowski, to talk a little bit about the history of fishing in Minnesota and some of the great treasures they have up in their museum. Can you start us out by telling us a bit about what role fishing plays in your recreational life? As a child, I never actually went fishing when my family was in the farming industry, and so there wasn't a lot of time to go fishing. And then after I got married, uh, we started taking our family out. And first of all, we were fishing from shore, and then we started getting a boat. And then I think as the kids get older, you, you have to progress a little bit. There's no fun to you know, fish from shore if you're not catching anything. So, so we have a boat now, and we take the kids out. And it's always fun to see them go out and catch fish. And, you know, they get so excited, if it's even if it's like two inches long, whatever, they're excited about whatever they catch. And so that's always the fun part about it. So, yeah, we, have, we love going fishing. So do you have a regular place you go fishing? Actually, we just purchased a lake lot earlier this year, so there's not anything out there yet. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Wonderful. That is exciting. So with the fishing museum, is there a mission for the fishing museum, something they're trying to accomplish in the community? So, you know, our mission is to collect, preserve, and display the artifacts of freshwater fishing in Minnesota. You know, we want to provide classroom and educational curriculum for all individuals of all ages. We also provide recognition for persons, clubs, organizations, and companies that have contribute to the growth, enjoyment, and preservation of the sport of fishing. So I noticed you just mentioned curriculum there. What sort of classes do you offer from the fishing museum? So what happens with the educational part, a lot of times we'll get school tours that'll want to come in and depending on how long they can stay, it'll depend on how much we can teach them. Like um, when Jeff Doty, our past president, will come in and actually uh, teach the kids how to um, carve a decoy. He has his own business and so he brings in his uh, uh, the block of wood, and then he brings in the finished product, and he explains to them how you get from just this block of wood to this awesome, beautiful decoy that you can use when you're out spearing. Plus, we've had um, other Hall of Fame legends come in and talk to the kids about, you know, just the basics, how to tie knots, how to put your, your line on your, your reel, I mean, just the real basics. And then we've also had Eric Altina with a, he's the area supervisor for up here. He comes in and talks about, you know, lakes and, and just different information about that as well. Well, that all sounds really interesting. So could you tell us how the fishing museum got its start? The museum and the Hall of Fame is here because Al Barrett, who is our founder, decided that he, you know, he was in his late 60s, early 70s, decided that he was going to become a big time collector. And so there was a sports show going on down in St. Cloud. He lives in Sartell. So he thought he would take over his, uh, some of his favorite lures and have the appraiser take a look at them. And started off with a guy held on to the top one, which was a like a 1912 Surferino. Pushed all the other ones off to the side and kind of treated them like they were junk. So Al was a little upset about that. But they started talking about the Surferino. And the guy said to Al, you know, it's got two glass eyes. It's got three treble hooks, a couple spinners. And Al said, well, tell me something I don't know. And so they talked for a little while longer. And basically Al said, you know, well, what, what would you give me? What's it worth to you? And the guy said, well, I'd give you $3 for it. 
Well, Al had already looked it up in the Carl White book, and so he knew that it was worth between $75 to $100. And so when he offered him $3, you know, Al got mad, and he said, you know, he went home and told his wife, Jean, he said, that's it, we're going to start the Minnesota Fishing Museum. So he secured the name. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and he got his friend Maury to jump on board, and they started going around to all the service organizations asking for donations. So although Minnesota's in our name, we're not actually supported by the state of Minnesota, we get everything from, you know, gift shop sales, admissions, donations, and memberships. That is a fun story. Uh, would you be willing to let us know what we'd see at the Fishing Museum? Maybe take our audience on an audio walkthrough of the place? When you walk in the door, you're going to hit our gift shop. And the first thing that people walk in, they see um, we have mounts from the Hall of Fame that are actually up on the walls. So you can kind of see that as well. And then you walk in, and our front counter is a 1946 Larson boat. It's got a little three-horse Johnson on the back side of it. So we repurposed it, and so it's pretty cool. Everybody kind of gets, a lot of people miss it. There's a little dock, and people miss the boat. So I always ask them, did you notice that the front counter is a, is a boat? Oh, no, no, I didn't even notice that. And then I show them the motor, and they're like, oh, that's so cool. And you know what? The kids almost always notice that the front counter is a boat. Um, so they come in, and they see that, and then they walk through, and they start, they get to the edge of the, of the dock and they start looking around. And the first thing they say is, oh my God, it's bigger than I thought it was. Because when you're looking at the building from outside, they think it's kind of small. But when you walk in, there's a ton of stuff in there. And so I usually bring them up to uh, basically the, the case that shows, you know, the lures that started the, the museum. I give them a little introduction. I talk to them about that. And I explained to them that there's over 98 motors on the floor. And then they work their way around. So 60s, 50s, and 40s are on one half of the museum. And then on the following side, it's 30s, 20s, the old knuckle busters. And then the oldest little motor we have is a 1902. It's a Smith Electric uh, motor. And it ran off of two six-volt batteries, and it went a whole five miles an hour, which is kind of funny when you're looking at it. You know, there's pictures over there by the, the motor. And the couple that's out in the boat, you know, he's wearing a hat and suit and tie and she's in a hat and a dress. And it's like nobody goes fishing like that anymore. So it's really kind of funny. Well, I want to take this moment to ask if you could explain what a knuckle buster is for our listeners. A knuckle buster is actually a motor that uh, has a, a knob on the top of it. And so as you you actually you don't really know when it's going to start. You basically grab the knob and you start spinning it and you turn it around and you spin it in the way that you want it to go. So one way you'll go forward, the other way you'll go in reverse. So you spin it, and then there's a little metal piece on the side of it, and a lot of them too. So if you don't get your hand out of the way in time, it basically wraps your knuckles, and they call them knuckle busters. Well, thank you for that little tidbit. I appreciate it. And uh, go ahead and continue the tour for us. Sure, sure. And then... Uh, also, when you're in there, you're going to walk in, you're going to see a lot of the, the boats. One of my favorite boats is actually made by Larson's. And when you walk in, you'll see it. It's towards the front of the museum. And Larson's, in 1949, they had a fire. They lost everything in the fire. They lost the plans, the forums. Even a night watchman died in the fire. And so Larson's decided that after the fire that they were going to rebuild the plant. So they did. They got the plant built. Then they got ready to start building the, the boats. And they're like, they realized we don't have anything. How are we going to make this boat? And so they had a meeting with a bunch of the guys that used to work there. And one of the guys said, you know, I know my part. Another guy said, well, I know my part. So they actually put the boat together from memory, and they do call it the memory boat. And that boat is one of the first three that is off the line, and it was donated to us by the Bergstrom family out by Lake Alexander. So it's just, and we call it the memory boat. It's really a cool thing. It's part of our scavenger hunt. But it's just, it's a fun little thing for 
you know, everybody to take a look at and enjoy. It has a horseshoe back to it. And so it's just kind of a fun boat. And then if you go to the back part of the museum, we have what we call Al's Frozen Pond. Inside Al's Frozen Pond, there's a diorama back there, and it talks about angling and spearing. And so there is actually a fish house that's complete with having a northern coming in, and there's a spear ready up in the top, ready for the, the northern to come in to take it. And then there's video that plays in the back. Uh, Dennis Bertram actually is a uh, decoy carver, and so he did a great job, and we actually have that video playing in the back, kind of explains how you know, spearing works. And so um, kind of goes with the over 800 decoys that we have in the museum. Uh, actually, you'll see those before you walk into Al's Frozen Pond. There's about a third of them on display, but Dennis Bertram's decoys actually have large lips. And so he's pretty famous for doing the red and white uh, decoys with the big lips. So it's kind of fun. To be honest with you, I had no idea that decoys were a part of fishing. This is the first I've heard of it. Decoys. Oh my gosh. There's a million different ones. There's a lot of decoy shows um, they carve. Um, actually, um, we have a we usually have a, a decoy show every year. It's held usually in the beginning of March, and so there's competitions. They come in and they carve, and so they have decoy you know carver of the year and stuff. And so they have to carve them. They have to swim. They have to be functional. They have to you know be artistic and look appropriate. It depends on what category you're doing. There's different categories for each thing, but. Um, we have the junior and the senior uh, carver of the year. And so the juniors, which are kind of neat, if you were to walk in and look at the decoys that are on display by the juniors, they're 17 and under, and they're fascinating. You know, I've actually had some of the kids come in that have taken the classes up in Brainerd. It was the Bob Johnson Invitational, and Bob Johnson has passed on, but they continue to do the classes up there. And so they have like a basic, an intermediate, and an advanced. And so some of the kids come in and they say, yeah, I, I just carve all the time now. So it's given them a pastime that they can actually work on, keeps them entertained. Plus, they can actually make some money on it. Decoys sell for a fair amount of money if they get good at it. And a lot of them, you know, they can go anywhere from $10 to $250 for a decoy, depending on your, on how your skill is. And quite honestly, we have some in there that, the gentleman has sold that they donated them. They sold them for over $3,000. So Wow, that's incredible. And it's really cool to know that those kids are learning those skills too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really neat. And then we do have like a 270-gallon aquarium. So there are some freshwater fish in there for the kids to come in to see. Especially when we do, you know, we have school tours. It's always nice to make sure we feed them minnows so they can see uh, the fish eating. Well, you've talked a lot about the reactions of children. What kind of reactions do you see among adults who visit the fishing museum? I think it's, you know, the adults will come in and they'll, their reaction a lot of times is uh, misty-eyed. The seniors and, and, you know, the adults, they come in, they look at the lures and they see things that, you know, their dad had, their grandpa had. It's in their own tackle box. They don't know where it went. And, you know, the kids come in and they're like, wow, that used to catch fish. That's nothing. Especially when they look at like the depth finders. They're like, really? That's what you guys used? And it's like some of the ones they had the um, the knots and everything in the ropes so you could find the depth and stuff of the lake. And they're like, really? That's how you figured out how deep the lake was? So you've got some a different reaction with them. But a lot of the kids, uh, they like going through. They really love looking at the scavenger hunt. It gets them to actually go through and actually see what's in the museum instead of kind of running around going from one to the other. 
from old to young, they all love looking at the Minnesota State replica fish. And those are on the wall. And they're all pretty much up there. And they, they walk up there and they're just in awe. They look at the, the walleye and think, oh, my God, I would love to catch that. And it's like, you know, it's just that's pretty much probably the, the biggest reaction. People look at the fish and they're like, wow, that's big. Man, that's bigger than my hand. Oh, my God, I would love to catch that. Um, and the motors, they all think are, you know, they like walking through and looking at the motors. They're fascinated at the knuckle busters and they like looking at, uh, we have an Evinrude that folds up and, and goes into a suitcase type of a uh, case. And so they all think that's pretty cool as well. Do you want to share your insights into how fishing stimulates the overall Minnesota economy? You know, actually, it really does. You know, the state of Minnesota is, uh, it is, um, you know, we're ranked number one as an outdoor activity, fishing. And, you know, everybody can go do it. You don't have to be, you know, super athletic. You don't have to do, you know, you don't have to be rich. You, you can just, anybody can go out and go fishing, which is really cool. It supports over 27,000 jobs and it generates $4.2 billion to the economic impact of the state's economy. And we rank second nationally for the residents fishing uh, participation as Minnesotans. And we're the third most popular fishing destination in the country. Um, Minnesota already has one title where, you know, the state of hockey, but we're trying to become the state of fishing because when you come to Minnesota, you think about the 10,000 lakes. And obviously when you think about 10,000 lakes, you're either fishing, you're swimming, you're boating, you're having fun on the water. And of course, due to the pandemic, fishing's license sales are up and more people are out fishing and they're actually getting back to spending time outdoors. And so fishing is really becoming, you know, more of a family um, sport, as you want to call it. You know, everybody's getting together. It's giving more people time away from their phones, time away from the office, time, just time to be out in the water where there's some peaceful watching the loons, catching fish. And if you don't want to do either one of those, it's always a nice place to bring a good book. It just, it just sends a peace over you. You know, it just, it, it just adds something to the quality of your life to be out on the lake. Well, it sounds like fishing is gaining in popularity again. Has it had ups and downs across the years? You know, yeah, it has. Uh, the DNR was working on trying to get more kids out fishing. Um, that's what they do. Take, you know, take a kid fishing. They offer it where adults can go fishing on a weekend for free, not have a license. There's different days. Obviously, you have to only be doing it on that day. But otherwise, you know, if you're 16 or over, you do need a license in Minnesota to go fishing. But um, there was a decline, and so we've been trying to really push to get more awareness of fishing. And we couldn't have asked. The pandemic is horrible, but that really opened up the opportunity to take people fishing. You know, there were more people working from home. They had their kids at home because a lot of the kids weren't in school, and uh, you needed to have something fun to go do. And it's educational to take your kids out fishing. Plus, you can either catch and release, or you can put them in the frying pan. So as part of educating our youth about this, if an organization or a school wanted to set up a tour at the museum, what does that look like? You know, a tour, depending on what they want to do. But a lot of them will just give me a call. We'll set up a date, get a time, and then we'll make that uh, determination of what kind of tour they're looking for. Some people really enjoy just going through the, the museum, walking through and just, you know, enjoying the, the memories that the artifacts give to them. Other people want to be 
walk through the museum and describe this is how this works, this is what it was for. It kind of depends on the group that's coming through and, and if they're all going to be together, how many there are. And like I said, the school tours are great when they come through because we basically give them an introduction, get them going. We let them do the scavenger hunt and then we bring them all back and then we go through the answers so they don't think they're learning, but they are learning something You're like how thick should the ice be before you drive a car onto it, you know, things like that. And basically it's just, you know, whatever they want to do. And if they're, if there's enough time, like a lot of the, like the high school classes that'll come in, they'll usually be there a couple hours. And that's when we bring in one of our uh, volunteers, like one of the legends or fishing guides or whatever people that are in the industry or our past president will come in and talk about decoys, just people that are in the industry. So since this is the Fishing Museum and Hall of Fame, would you like to tell us a little bit about that Hall of Fame aspect? So the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, it was actually first started up in uh, by Jeff Arnold in, in Reeds and Walker, and then he moved it into the Brainerd Baxter and it ended up staying in Gander Mountain. Um, and it was there for quite a few years, and then Gander Mountain went bankrupt, and then it was sold and everything. And so... There were motors, there were uh, just huge displays of all the uh, legends that were in there at the time. And then we were already a museum, we only have limited space, so a lot of the stuff got put into storage. But all the big mounts and stuff that they had and the displays that they had of the fish are in the museum, kind of sprinkled wherever I could. So that's why when you walk into the gift shop, you notice if you look up, there's a lot of large fish in there. So it kind of just starts it off. And, you know, it's in with the fishing net, so it all kind of looks part of it and stuff. But... Uh, the Hall of Fame guys will come in and we do an induction every year. Um, we're getting ready to do our class of 20, uh, 2020 and 21 coming up here in September. So it's pretty fun. And what date is that happening? September uh, 16th. That was Thursday. And so it is going to be open to the public. They can come in. The doors will open at four o'clock. Uh, we'll have dinner served at from five to six. And then they could come in and listen to the legends talk about uh, their stories, the past, uh, the new inductees. There's a little bit of roast and toast. When you get that many people that love what they do, and that's their job, I've never met a group of nicer people. So if folks listening to this are interested in helping fund the Fishing Museum, where should they make their donations and where can they look to find more information on that? So if they want to come in, they could become either a member, they could purchase a membership, which is a, basically a sustaining they can offer an individual or a family membership. They're 15 and $25, so we're very reasonable. If they want to do a lifetime membership, it's only $500. Plus, anytime they want to come in and make any type of donation, we are always more than appreciative of having any monetary donation made, as well as artifacts. You know, some people come in and grandpa passed and they have this really great old motor. That's how we filled the museum with people coming in and donating to us. Right now, we don't have a lot of storage and stuff, so we are a little bit more picky. So if they come in and they have a motor and we already have one or two then we, you know, we have to let them know that we may sell it to help provide financial uh, support to the museum. Otherwise, if somebody wants just to go online at the Minnesota Fishing Museum website or the Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame website, there's a PayPal uh, button on the side that says support the museum, support the hall. What are your days and hours of operation? 
So the museum open, is open right now Wednesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And so the cost to go through, if you're a, you know, a senior or a student, it's only $4. If you are an adult, it's 5 And then, you know what, what if you bring the family in? So two adults and any of the kids under 17, it's only $15 to go through. So we're very reasonable, you know, to, it's a, it's a fun afternoon that they can just come in and it doesn't cost you an arm or leg just to do it. And for schools and organizations that want to come for tours, what is the cost for those? Depending on their age that are coming through, we still keep it very reasonable, about 4 or $5. If the schools are coming, we usually do it for $3 for the students just to come through. It kind of depends on how it goes, but you can't go anywhere else for $3 or $4 just to go see anything. So we're kind of staying around that $4 range. And you know what's different, too, about our cases? When you walk through... Each one of the cases actually has a photo of the person that donated the items that are inside. So it was kind of funny. In one year, I had a group of probably, I don't know, six or seven couples that came through. They were probably ranged, their age ranged from probably 60 to 80 that were in this group. And so they were walking through and the ladies were walking through it. They got over to one case and all of a sudden the ladies were pointing and laughing. And I thought, God, what is so funny in that case? I can't think of anything that's over there that that's funny. And so I walked over and I said, so... I got to ask, I said, what are you guys looking at, laughing at? She goes, oh, that was my high school sweetheart. Too funny. Yep, the guys never came to look, but the, the women were all over laughing, so it was pretty good. This has been a really fun conversation. Before we go, though, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know that we haven't covered? Well, I guess, you know, if they want to come and attend, attend the induction, it's going to be held in Little Falls. It's going to be like the Thursday, you know, September 16th. The cost for the tickets are only $30. Um, for adults and if there's kids 17 and under it's only $20 but it will be a show of a lifetime you know it's really how often do you get that many legends in one area Um, it's just it's a phenomenal if you if you've never seen it we used to do it in conjunction with the sports show but um, we're bringing up here it's a little bit easier for everybody to get to central Minnesota it's you know a couple hours from anywhere you know we're right in the middle of the state so uh, we'd love to see them. And then if they ever just want to come in, just come check us out. We've got a lot of items that in the gift shop. Plus, we have another event coming up this fall. It's Christmas Tree Lane. It's one of our bigger fundraisers. So um, if you're coming at Christmas time, you're not really coming for the fishing museum. But, you know, a lot of the items are covered up. But, you know, we actually end up having probably 45 Christmas trees that are decorated by either staff, volunteers, or other business organizations. And so what happens, they come in and uh, they walk through and they look at the, uh, the Christmas trees and you can bid on them. And so they get the whole tree, the skirt, the, you know, the stand, all the decorations, the lights, everything. Plus there's wreaths and there's you know, just silent auction uh, baskets and all kinds of stuff. And so that's going on as well. So you can actually come in, it goes for 10 days, Santa Claus, usually there on the weekends and so we do pictures by the cabin it's just a lot of fun I mean so that's one of our other big uh, fundraisers and then usually every spring we'll have a night with the fishing pros and so that's when all the pros that are not legends yet um, come in and help us out and they give us a night of uh, entertainment so the kids can go through play some games you know get to talk to them ask them questions and you know just to have something to look up and there are legends there as well but they'll sign your cap they'll you know just it's just a fun night too So just keep watching the website for events now that we'll be back uh, putting things up again. You know, now that things are opening up and everything, at least we hope they stay opened up and uh, we can do that.
All right. And I lied. I do have one last question for you. And this is a very controversial question. Do you have a favorite fish mount on the wall? I do have some favorite. There's actually, you know, and it shouldn't really be a favorite, I suppose. Um, there's a walleye that's just in there. It's on a, a, you know, a piece of driftwood. And it's just one of them. I just, it's beautiful. It was donated to us. It's not even one of the record fish. It's just, I just like it. I don't know. And I used to have actually, a, <laughs> I used to have a muskie that was donated to us and it was kind of tattered up and the, the fins were kind of uh, in rough shape and I used to stick it out so the, so the kids could walk through and just see how many teeth are in a muskie and just actually look all the way into the, the mouth of it. But um, I had to take it down. <laughs> I guess you could bring it back for Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah, you know. I don't know, there's just so many things to just look in the museum. I still walk through there. After being there, you know, since 2014, I still walk through and I'm thinking, God, I never saw that. I'm like, I know it's been here forever, you know. Even when you walk in in the net up hanging up the thing, it's full of bobbers and everything. So from, you know, the old cork bobbers to the long bobbers that look like pens. I mean, there's just a ton of different things to look at in there. You just never know what you're going to see. I'd like to thank Brenda once again for the fantastic conversation and for everyone involved in the Minnesota Fishing Museum and Hall of Fame for providing this great resource to the state of Minnesota. I hope you are all still enjoying this podcast and if you are, please tell your friends and family about us. Word of mouth is honestly the bread and butter for podcast listenership growth. So if you could give us a hand by telling one other person about us this week, that would be fantastic. And if they don't know much about podcasts, just ask to borrow their phone and show them how to subscribe. This episode was developed and managed by Bruce Anderson. Production by Riverside Productions, LLC. Music by Epidemic Sound. Send us your questions and comments at host at mincentralcurrents.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching Mincentral Currents. Till next time. Mm-hmm.